The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs. I remember when uh, our youth introduced that song just a few years ago, um, and I instantly, instantly loved it. Just an amazing, amazing rendition. Taking those, those old, familiar lyrics... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And breathing new life into them. And that's something we need to continually be doing as a church. We need to continually be telling and retelling the gospel story to one another. And I've been, I've been a bit fixated on grace uh, this week in my study and in my conversations and um, just in my mind, I, I've, been, I've been fixated on this idea of grace, and in particular this, this quote um, that, I, that I read in, in a Marilyn Robinson essay. And she opens the essay saying, Grace is a word without synonyms, a concept without paraphrase. And, and maybe some of you are like me and, and you grew up and, and you thought you kind of understood grace, but you never really understood it. You never really grasped it in all its full uniqueness and potency. Um, because the, the church I grew up in, um, I, I grew up in a small church of Christ in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and uh, in, in many ways, grace was a part of the conversation, but it was, it was out on the edges of the conversation. Um, you know, Ben and I have a, have a professor at OC who likes to say that uh, the Church of Christ disco- discovered grace in the 1970s. And, and my church growing up was still probably more like 1965. Like we, we were almost there. But, but it, it wasn't at the center of what we were talking about. It wasn't at the center in any way of my, of my understanding of, of who God was and, and the gospel. You know, in my mind, I think grace kind of occupied the same space as the word mercy. Um, so they, they were almost synonymous. I knew they were different in some ways, but they were almost synonymous in my head. And, and that's why Marilyn Robinson just nails it when she says, grace is a word without synonyms. It's a concept without paraphrase. It, it is absolutely unique. There's nothing in the world that can capture this same idea grace. And that's why I'm excited for our text this morning. Because we, we are in Ephesians. Uh, the mystery of us is the name of our sermon series. And uh, grace is central to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 this morning. And, and in some ways, we get a little bit more personal this week in Ephesians. So if, if we're sticking with the metaphor from the first week that, that Ben used, and Ephesians is this broad overview, this cityscape view of salvation, then in chapter 1, in the first 10 verses, it's like we, we fixate on a single point in the city. It's like Paul fixates in from, from the eye of London, that view over the whole city, and looks down at the Westminster Bridge, and he can see the cars, and, and he fixates on this one spot, and, and we ask questions like, where are the cars coming from? You know, what direction are the cars going? 
And how, how does this bridge, how do these cars, how does it function in, in the context of this whole city? And so that's kind of the, the theological questions that we're going to be asking of our text this morning. So let, let's jump right into Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Paul says, And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. This is honestly one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. So it, it's an absolute privilege to preach it this morning. And, and I, I titled my sermon this morning, The Chronology of Grace, for reasons I hope will become evident later on. But I almost titled it, The Geography of Grace. Because we've got these directional metaphors happening in our text this morning. Paul's using this, this spatial language. He, we're, we're looking at the Westminster Bridge and we're seeing the direction the cars are going. And, and Paul says, And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly lived, according to this world's present path. And that word lived in the Greek is literally walked. So, so we got more of this movement, this direction language. It's in which you formerly walked according to the world's present path. And Paul says you were going the wrong way. He zooms in on the Westminster Bridge and he says, you were going the wrong way. You, you, were, you were headed down the world's present path according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That, that's a reference to the devil. And the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. You were going the wrong direction. But it gets worse. Because take a look back at those first few words in the verse. It says, Although you were dead. Although you were dead. So, so not only... Are we headed the wrong way? We're headed down the world's present path, but the motor's dead. The motor's died. It's not functioning. The car's not responding in any way. And we were, we were headed, we were careening down this path, the world's present path toward destruction. And Paul keeps going in verse 3. He says, among whom all of us formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Wow. It's looking pretty bleak. It's looking pretty bleak. Paul is not pulling any punches here. 
Because Paul is, is having no qualms about calling it like he sees it and saying, hey, humanity, you've made a mess of things. You've made a mess of things. You know, G.K. Chesterton says that, that essentially sin is, is the only part of Christian theology that can, can basically be proved. It's empirically provable. You can kind of just step out into the street, he says, and, and deduce it from there. You know, he, today he might say you could just kind of scroll through your news feed. You could watch, watch the evening news, and it's, it's pretty evident that, that humanity has in fact made a mess of things. So, so Paul has no qualms about calling this out because until we realize just what a mess of things we have made, we will never see the sheer beauty and enormity of what God has done. Until we realize, at this point in our chronology, until we realize that, that the beginning, this, this picture is bleak, we'll never truly see the beauty of God's grace. Uh, Laura and I have been uh, watching uh, a new comedy on NBC called The Good Place. And um, it, it's been interesting. It, it's a show about a woman named Eleanor who uh, who dies and uh, by some quirk, by some fluke, doesn't go to the bad place, doesn't go where she deserves to go, to, to hell. She goes, she winds up by a fluke in, in heaven, in the good place. And, and so it, it's been an interesting show. It, it's been funny, but also it, it talks a lot about philosophy and ethics and, and the afterlife. So it's been intriguing. And, and there was this character named Tahani who had an interesting moral realization in the most recent episode and, and Tahani is basically portrayed as, as pretty much like a perfect human being. Um, you know, she, she's beautiful, she's kind, she's constantly putting others before herself. She, she spent her entire earthly life as a philanthropist, raising literally $60 billion for different charities and such. But she has this realization that all of these things, even the best things of her accomplishments, none of it matters. She has this, this realization that none of it was enough to get her into the good place because her motivations were corrupt. So, so her motivations were corrupt. She realizes that she didn't really care about the people she was helping. She mostly just wanted to stick it to her parents and have fame and outdo her sister and kiss Ryan Gosling at the Met Gala. Like Those were her, her motivations. So they were corrupt. And so she realizes that none of what she did, nothing she could do, could ever earn her salvation. And, and this brings me to the first point in the sermon this morning. And that is that we can only serve ourselves, therefore we cannot save ourselves. You know, Tahani's predicament is consonant with the portrait of humanity that we find in Ephesians 2. We find that, that all, of our, all that we are doing is gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, and, and we're, we're enslaved to serving ourselves and enslaved in a way that we can't free ourselves from. That, as the great 
reformer Martin Luther said, he, he said that human beings, the human heart, it's, it's curved in on itself. He said it's, it's curved in on itself so that everything we do is pointed back at ourselves. Even the best things we do, even the, the good things we do, it, it, it's corrupted, it's tainted by our, our desire to be liked, to be admired, our desire to be religious, our desire to be self-righteous. As Isaiah says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. They're unclean. They're, they're tainted. They're, they're worthless and tainted by our corrupt motivations because we can only serve ourselves. And so we can't save ourselves. But there's good news in Ephesians 2. Because this would be a bummer of a sermon if I stopped here, right? <laughs> there's good news. And... Paul moves on, and, and, and we see that, I, I just wanted to point out, at the end of verse 3, you might have noticed there was an ellipsis in, in the text. There, there was, you know, that dot, dot, dot. That, that didn't mean that words were missing. I just wanted to be clear that I wasn't indicating that we were leaving out any of the text, but the, what the translators have done here is they've, they've indicated that those first three verses, that full sentence, is actually not a complete sentence. That, that actually there's a participle at the beginning that is left dangling. That, that we're left in suspense. That Paul just kind of keeps rambling on and we're waiting for the solution to this. So he says, among whom all of us who also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, dot, dot, dot. And then he interrupts. And he says, but God. Every great story has a but. A B-U-T. Every great story. <laughs> let me be clear. Every great story, we might characterize any, any good story, any story with a happy ending at least, we, we could tell in, in that kind of construction. You know, your friend will, will tell you about this crazy happenstance that happened to them and such and such and such, but this happened, so it was okay. We could probably tell our favorite films that way, too. We'd say, you know, Darth Vader and the Empire were crushing the rebellion, but a new hope rose up in the deserts of Tatooine. And that's how Paul is telling our story this morning. So he goes, he goes on and on, and he talks about how we're headed, we were headed in the wrong direction. We were dead in our transgressions, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So notice the resurrection language. A couple weeks ago, we, we spent some time talking about how the resurrection and the exaltation are, are really the focus of Ephesians here. That uh, actually the cross is only mentioned once in Ephesians. It's, it's mentioned in the text that Ben's going to preach next week. 
And of course, the cross is implicit. It's behind everything Paul says theologically. But the focus in Ephesians kind of shifts a little bit to later in the story. It shifts to the resurrection and exaltation. So, so notice that Paul says we were dead, spiritually dead. And because we're spiritually dead, the solution is a spiritual resurrection. By grace you are saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So not only will we be bodily raised, will we be resurrected when Christ returns, but in a sense, Paul is saying we have already been spiritually raised. God has already reached in and given us new life. And one of the biggest points that Paul is focusing on in this sense that he's absolutely adamant about is that we can contribute nothing to it. Nothing. We can contribute absolutely nothing. Our salvation in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is, is absolutely the gracious work of God alone. So if we think about the Christians in Ephesus in context, they would have been feeling pulled in these directions of, of the power of the Roman Empire, the, the power of these kind of magical cultic beliefs, and they would, they would feel this sort of religious anxiety that maybe they need to pull on this string for salvation. Maybe they need to pull on this string for salvation. And Paul says, no, God reaches in and pulls you up with Christ. Paul says in, in verses 8 through 10, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. I was 30,000 feet in the air uh, thinking about my very fresh, very first romantic relationship, and reading a book that she had given me, a book that truly would go on to change my life. Her name was Laura, you might know her. And the name of the book was What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. But this was no ordinary book. This was actually the, the visual edition. So, so aside from the text, there were, it was replete with, with pictures and graphics and images and, and in, interesting font choices, all chosen to, to make known, to make even more provocative, the message of God's grace. And so the book begins with those, those lyrics that we talked about. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But you turn the page and, and that saved a wretch like me is pictured prominently next to a photo of Mother Teresa. And it's a striking juxtaposition. You know, probably we think of as one of the most saintliest women to ever walk the face of this, this earth, to save a wretch like Mother Teresa. And you turn the page and there's, 
there's more photos of people, and next to each person is the, the words, like me, like me, like me. And this, this happens intermittently throughout the book. You'll be reading through another section, you'll turn the page, and it shows a photo of somebody else or a group of people, and it says, like me, like me. And I remember being caught off guard, totally stopped in my tracks. When I, I turned the page, and across the page from the words, like me, was a photo of Timothy McVeigh. And I don't have to explain to Oklahomans the disturbing nature of that combination that saved a wretch like me. You know, the, the disturbing nature that, that this idea of grace could, could really reach anyone, could really be open for the Timothy McVeighs of this world. And that book rocked my world. It, it changed my perception because, you know, it, it, I'd never really understood this, this truly radical concept that there, there really is no moral bar that you've got to hop over to be open to God's grace. This radical concept that, that all my life, I think subtly, I'd been trying to earn God's favor in little ways that I'd been trying to earn his approval by, by doing the right thing, by believing the right thing, by, by achieving enough, by being religious or moral enough. And to realize that none of it mattered in my openness to God's grace. That it could reach even the worst of us. That, that we were absolutely dead. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. And God reached out first in love, in grace, in Christ Jesus. And so, before we close this morning, I just want to make two points clear from our text and, and on the topic of grace. And, and the, point, the first point is that grace means everyone is unqualified and no one is disqualified. What does that mean? Everyone is unqualified, no one is disqualified. It means that the gospel of grace means that no one is qualified to save themselves. Can't be done. We're all Tahanis. We've all got corrupt motivations. We cannot pull ourselves out of the mess we have made, but here's where it turns. Because if we're all unqualified, that means nobody is disqualified. If we're all unqualified, that means everyone is open. There's a wideness to God's grace that is open and extended to all. There's no bar that you have to hop over to be able to receive God's grace. Karl Barth writes, While many may deny God, according to the word of reconciliation, God does not deny man. Man may be hostile to the gospel of God, but this gospel is not hostile to him. The fact that he is closed to it does not alter the fact further that it is open for him. Grace means everyone is unqualified. And so nobody's disqualified. But that leads to the final point this morning. 
And the final point this morning is that God acts in grace so we can act in gratitude. This is, this is so absolutely vital. This is the chronology of grace. It is that God reaches out. God acts first. And therefore, we respond in gratitude. You know, this is where, where Timothy Keller likes to distinguish between religion and the gospel. So religion being you know, us trying to work to please the gods in order to receive their love and acceptance. The gospel being God loving and accepting, therefore we work for God. So religion is I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And the gospel is I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Subtle, but it is vital. It's absolutely vital. Paul says, We were dead, but God turned us around. But God graciously raised us up with Christ so that we could respond in gratitude and good works. This isn't a gospel of cheap grace. This isn't a gospel that means we don't do anything or work or change from it, but it means that good works follow grace and faith. They never lead to it. Good works follow grace and faith. And so you can hear this rhythm of grace in Ephesians 2. You can hear this, this tempo that sets the backbeat for everything that Paul is saying about the gospel. He's saying, you know, that thought that that went through your head last week that you can't believe you thought it. By grace you are saved. He says that sin that you struggled with, that, that you're secretly ashamed of, by grace you've been saved. Those doubts, those fears, those regrets, that thing you did 10, 20 years ago, you can't seem to shake. By grace, you've been saved. That little lie you told your mom at the breakfast table this morning, by grace, you've been saved. George Hunzinger says, there is always more grace in God than there is sin in us. Never forget that. Never forget the chronology of grace, that God reached out first, that God entered in, that God turned us around by sheer immeasurable grace. Have you experienced that grace? Have you responded to that grace, church? Because I can truly say it has saved a wretch like me, and that chronology has forever changed our trajectory. It's changed our trajectory together. So let's stand together and declare this amazing grace, church.